It's been a beautiful morning already, a, a great morning of worship, and we're going to continue worshiping by looking into God's word this morning. So why don't I pray for us as we look into the Bible? Heavenly Father, would you fill us with your heart, like the words we just sang? Would you do a work in us? Would you do a new thing in us? There are many people in so many different pathways in their life in this room right now. I don't know what any of those are. You do. So I pray, Lord, you would meet us where we are at this morning. Help us to open our eyes to Scripture. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, I want us to wrestle with a question that I think all of us, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter if you, know, you don't believe in God or you do, or you believe in some other form of religion or you're a Christian, I think all of us need to wrestle with this question. Do I really believe? And how do I know? How do I know I really believe that which I say I believe? Because you can imagine, you can imagine believing something and saying you believe something, but when push comes to shove, it doesn't translate into action. When push comes to shove, you're not willing to put your full trust in what you say you believe. Here, here's a trivial example. Uh, how many of us have been up on CN Tower? How many? Enough of us? Okay. Maybe about a third of us. Great. It's that big tower in the middle of the city, so go <laughs> check it out. <laughs> um, so I'm, a, I'm afraid of heights, right? So I don't really like heights all that much. Uh, I think I'm getting over a little bit, but when I went on the CN Tower, I was a much younger person. And I remember getting into, that, uh, getting into the elevator that takes you up the CN Tower, and you know, you're halfway up and you're, you're a little scared, and you're, you're almost sure that the ride must be over, right? You're, you're, looking, you're seeing the city in a completely different way. Like the buildings look different, everything looks different. You can't believe you're as high as you are, because naturally you would never be this high. And then you look up and you realize that you're about a third of the way there. <laughs> and you've got a long way to go. So you keep going up, you keep going up. And eventually you make it to the top. And me, I'm, you know, I'm sweating, you know, I'm not really enjoying this all that much. But do you know what some sadistic person put on the top of the CN Tower? Do, do you know what they actually installed into the floor of the CN Tower? There is a glass floor up there. Do you know that? Like, it's already unnatural enough that you're up there. But now you're on, now they're, no joke, there are these like four and five-year-old kids stomping on the glass floor, seeing if they can break it. <laughs> I'm like, it's enough that I'm up here, all right? I don't, I don't. Now, if you were to ask me, you know, logically, do you think that that glass floor would hold your weight? I would say, well, yeah. But... Would I be willing to put my body on the line and stand on that glass pane? And I don't think I would, right? I, I, I believe I did not. I don't really remember. I probably blacked out, right? <laughs> but all that is to say, you can imagine, right? You can imagine believing in something, saying you believe it, but when push comes to shove, you don't really want to go there. You don't really want to make that into an action. Consider this. Consider this little phrase I came up with. This isn't from Scripture, but maybe it's helpful. What's true is what I do. What's true is what I do. What I, what I believe is actually true in my heart of hearts, in the deepest part of me, what's true, what I really truly believe is true, is that which I do, is that which I'm willing to act on, right? 
So what is it that my life looks like? And that is probably what I, in turn, believe. So you can look at your life and you can say, okay, my beliefs are this, but if I were to actually look at my life as if I'm an observer of my own life, right? Can you imagine doing that? What, what would it look like if you observed your life over the last week? What is it that you do believe? And Christians, if you're a believer in here, this is a serious question for us because our beliefs are lofty. They're big. We have, we have big beliefs. We believe in a God of the universe. We believe in a God who controls all things, who's sovereign over all things. And we believe in a God who has saved us from not only the penalty of sin, right? Jesus on the cross forgives us of sin if we have faith in him. Not only does he remove the penalty of sin from our lives, but even the power of sin. When we believe in Christ, God even gives us the power to fight against sin and no longer rebel against God and no longer go against the, God, uh, the things that God has for us. Those are big beliefs. And if we truly believe those things, you know, what would our life look like? What would your life look like? What would my life look like? We are continuing a, a series that's called this, Discovering True Joy. Happiness, it can come and go, kind of like the weather. Sometimes we have good weather, sometimes we have bad weather. Sometimes we have a great time of joy. Sometimes we have a great, time of so, uh, a great time of sorrow in our lives. Those things come and go. But Christianity doesn't promise us merely joy or merely happiness. Christianity promises us something much deeper, much more profound, and that is joy. And that is sourced in God. We know God, and so we can have joy, even if our happiness comes and goes. And today, I think, I believe, in fact, that we can have true joy in answering this question. Do I really believe? This is going to be a helpful question for everyone in here. Because perhaps we go through this exercise of discovering whether or not we truly believe, and we start to question, okay, maybe I don't. That's good news for you. Because it's not the end yet. We still have time to turn to God. But for those who ask the question, do I really believe, and at the end of this discover, yes, I do, I do really believe this, then the joy of assurance, of knowing we are saved, will wash over us. This is such an important question, and we're going to dive into it. And the reason why I want us to dive into it isn't because I'm clever and I thought of the question. It's because Scripture wants us to think about this question. So would you open up your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2? We're going all the way from verse 12 to verse 30, which is a huge swath of text, but we're going to break it down. And I really do encourage you to open it up in your Bibles or your Bible apps. And the reason why I want you to do that is because I want you to be sure that what I'm saying isn't something I'm making up, but is in Scripture. If I'm not saying something that's in Scripture, you can go ahead and ignore me. You can go ahead and let this just be some strange talk that I'm doing up here. But if it's coming from Scripture, then we need to understand that this is God's word to us, not merely Tyler's word to you. We're going all the way from verse 12 to verse 30. And I just want to give you some background. Many of you have heard this already, but some of you might be new. Uh, so I want to give you some background as to what's going on here. The Apostle Paul, an apostle means a chosen person by Christ to spread the news of the gospel. The Apostle Paul is in jail because he was preaching the good news about Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. And if you declared anyone besides the emperor as Lord, you could be thrown into jail. And that's what happened with the Apostle Paul. 
And the only way you survived in a jail at this time is if you had friends on the outside supplying to your needs. So when Paul finds himself in prison, he sends out letters to all the churches that he had planted. Some of them don't respond, but Philippi, the church in Philippi, does. And they send someone with a gift so that he can make it through his time in prison. And the book of Philippians itself, the whole thing, is Paul sending a letter back to the church in Philippi, thanking them for their gift and encouraging them in the faith. But what Paul has to say to the church in Philippi, he also has to say to you and to me as well. So let's see what he has to say. In verse 12, it says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to, check out this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Well, that's an interesting phrase. He, he wants us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What, what does that mean? Well, he wants us to take seriously our standing in salvation. He wants us to ponder whether or not we are saved. He wants us to look at our lives and work out whether or not our lives are lining up with that which we believe. So, you might be thinking, oh, okay, that's a little, that, that doesn't really make sense to me because, you know, aren't people saved the moment they believe in Christ? Isn't that true? Like, you give your life to Christ, you declare him your Lord, you believe that he died, was buried, and rose again for your sins, and that's, that's what you need to do to be saved. There's, there's no more work you have to do, right? Am I right? Yes, absolutely, that is true. But notice here, he's not, he's not telling us to work on or work for our salvation. He's telling us to work out our salvation, right? He's telling us to work out our salvation. We don't need to work for our salvation. Christ already did the work on the cross. That is all the work that needs to be done for you or I to be saved. We simply have faith and trust in his work. But now Paul is saying, all right, you need to work out your salvation. In other words, do you truly, really believe? Because when we do come to faith in Jesus, when we do come to faith in Christ, this miraculous thing happens. We are indwelt by God. The Holy Spirit indwells us and works on us and works in our lives. So the next question that we have to ask is, okay, if I do really believe, how would I know? How would I know if I really believe? And Paul is about to answer that very question in verse 13. This is what he says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. For it is God who works in you. Notice, he doesn't say, for it is you who works really hard to do what God wants you to do to fulfill his good purpose. He doesn't say that. He says, God works in you. So if we really believe, we should be seeing God's work happening in our lives. God ought to be doing a work in us if we truly believe. That's what this text is teaching. So now we have to ask, what should I expect God to be doing in my life if I truly believe? That's, that's the question we're at now. What should I be expecting God to be doing in my life if, in fact, I do truly believe? And this passage is going to show us three things. Three things, three marks that I really believe. 
because God is working in me in these three ways. Here's the first one. Am I standing firm on the word? Am I standing firm on the word? Is God working in me to ingest, to read, to live out the Bible? Am I standing firm on the word? Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling with this question. Take a look at what uh, it says next. Verse 14. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So the first portion of, this, uh, of these verses tells the people in Philippi to do everything without grumbling or arguing so that they can become blameless so that they will shine among the people like stars. So God is going to work in them so that they are doing the work of God. God is working in them to shine like stars so that more people will come to see God as beautiful. But all of those things that he lists off there in those, set, in those uh, verses, verses 14 and 15, those are all functions of living out the word of God. That is all a function of, in verse 16, holding firmly to the word of life. So as they hold firmly to the word of life, all of these other things in verse 14 and 15 will happen in their lives. And if Paul sees them doing these things, he can, what's he say? He can boast about them on the day of Christ, on the, uh, on the day that Christ returns. He can boast about them. Why can he boast? Because if he sees the church in Philippi living out the word of God, then he will know they are not just saying they believe in Christ and therefore his work with them would be in vain. They actually are living it out. And so he can rejoice. And then he says, not only can I rejoice, but you should rejoice with me. Because I see you living out the word of God. I see you doing that. I see God working in you to live out scripture. And so I can boast because I know you're not faking it. This is a God-enabled way of life. Living out the scriptures. Living out the word of God. So we've got to, friends, we've got to ask ourselves that question. Is our life, are our lives reflecting that of scripture is our worldview reflecting that of scripture is our behavior and our attitudes and our internal thoughts about things are they reflecting the things of scripture and this this is this is not trivial this is not trivial um many people who come to church for many 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 years maybe even their whole lives there are some people who have never taken up the bible to read for themselves it just doesn't happen and they've never gone into this and found the wealth of, of good things from God in the scripture. There are people who have only heard the scriptures secondhand from a, from a pastor, from a podcast. And those things can be good, but we need to know firsthand what is in this book. We need to know for ourselves. And this is why I even struggle with, uh, I'm going to continue doing it, but I even struggle with, with putting this up here, Right? Because it almost communicates, I don't want it to communicate this, but it almost communicates, don't bother. 
Don't bother looking in your Bible. I'll take care of it. I'll do the work for you. I don't want to communicate in the least, that in the least. I want you to be opening up your own Bibles, using this for a guide, and so that you'll be able to do that when you go home. Because we need to be standing firm on the word of life for ourselves. Not getting it secondhand all the time. Getting it firsthand, straight from Scripture. Now, if we truly believed in the Bible, you know what that would mean? That would mean each and every one of you on your phone or in, in a paper book like this, each and every one of you, get this, are holding the very word of God. God, almighty, God all-powerful, God creator of the universe, God sovereign over all, God perfect in goodness, perfect in mercy, perfect in justice, perfect in knowledge, perfect in wisdom. And he has words to say to you and to me, and it's in this book. I'm reading it. I'm into this. Right? I, I want to know what's in here. God has words to say to me? Insignificant Tyler Scarborough on speck of dust called earth? We need to be into this book. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling by standing on the word of God. Ingest it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful on so many levels of analysis. Like, it's beautiful historically. It's beautiful poetically, narratively. Okay, it's ancient. It's beautiful in so many ways. But not just that. It's the word of God. So let's ingest this. Let's read this and let's live this book out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And be in this book. That's the first thing. Here's the second question that we need, to ask, we need to ask. How should we expect God to be working in us if we truly believe? Well, we need this. Am I living for Christ? Am I living for Christ? Am I living for myself? Am I living for my own gratification? Is the only thing I'm concerned about what I want and what I'm doing and what I'm up to? Or do we put the welfare of others and the work of Christ before ourselves? Is God working in us so that this is happening in our lives? We're about to be introduced to two characters in this, uh, in this passage. The first one, his name is Timothy. And Timothy is someone who, because he's a believer, he is working out his salvation with fear and trembling. And take a look at what Paul concludes about Timothy's life. Take a look. This is what it says in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So Paul concludes about this man, Timothy, he has proved himself. He has proved himself. He is someone who is a reliable gospel partner with Paul. But not just that. If he is a reliable gospel partner with Paul, then he is also something else. A genuine, true believer. He's proved 
himself. He's proved that he isn't just saying he believes, he actually believes. Now, how does Paul know that? Because Paul sees God working in Timothy's life in all of these ways. Take a look. First, he has genuine concern for the welfare of the church. It's not conjured up. He has genuine concern for how the people are doing physically and spiritually. He puts the interests of Christ ahead of his own interests. He puts his own interests down for the sake of what Christ would have him do. And he also selflessly serves with Paul as they share the gospel throughout the nations. So I see at least two marks here, two marks that God is working through your life. One is genuine concern for the believers, genuine concern for the spiritual well-being, physical well-being of the other believers and neighbors in your life, and putting the work of Christ ahead of yourself, and putting his work as a priority in your life. Genuine concern for the welfare of others and for the work of Christ. Those are two ways that God, if we truly believe that God is working in us. And so we need to perk up our ears and make sure that that is something that God is doing in us. And the, the biggest reason why someone wouldn't do this, and I get it, like I totally get this, the reason why we don't put the concern of others and the, and the concerns of Christ in front of ourselves is because, well, we feel like we'll miss out, right? Right? Like, if I put my energies into helping other people, if I put my energies into doing what Christ would want me to do, then I'm not going to be able to put energy into what I want to do for me. That's the equation. If I work towards someone else's good, I miss out. So we struggle with that. We struggle with that again and again and again, and we run into that. But you can see how that belies an unbelieving attitude. It belies an unbelieving attitude. Here's why. We know, if you're a believer, we know that no work that we do for our neighbor, no work that we do for the believers, no work that we do for Christ will go unrewarded many, many times over. The equation isn't, you know, if I work for someone else's interest, I won't have joy and I won't have happiness. The equation is, the more I work for others' joy and the more I work for God, the more joy I can have, both now and in eternity. That's the believing attitude. The believing attitude is, I want to do this for others because it is for God's glory and my joy. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not one or the other. It's both. You can work for the work of Christ and the joy of others for your own joy. Not just now, but for eternity. And that's an attitude. That's a perspective that God works into you, right? Because we wouldn't have this perspective by ourselves. We wouldn't. We'd say, hey, if I'm working for you, if I'm doing things for you, then I'm going to miss out myself. But God works in us a new perspective based on his word and says, no, 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 that's not the case. The more we can do for our brothers and sisters, the more that we can do for our neighbors, the more we can do for the work of Christ, the more joy we get for now and for eternity. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Are you working for the welfare of the people in your life and for the work of Christ, even before yourself? Third thing, third thing that we need to consider, and it's going to be on the screen. 
Do I risk for Christ? Do I risk for Christ? If we believe that Jesus Christ and salvation and God himself is the greatest treasure we could ever know, then everything is on the table for the sake of that treasure. Do I risk for Christ? We're going to be introduced to a new person. His name's Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is the person that Philippi, the church in Philippi sent to take the gift to Paul. And this is what Paul has to say about Epaphroditus. Verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So Epaphroditus is sent from the church of Philippi to where Paul is imprisoned. And travel back then is not as simple as it is in our very convenient lives today. It's not a matter of putting a token in the, you know, a TTC token into the slot and getting on the bus. All right? You needed to work out your supplies. You needed to have water. You needed to have a tent. You needed to be able to travel all this way. You needed to be physically fit. You needed to avoid bandits. You needed to uh, avoid uh, scuffles between governments. Uh, you needed to go night and day and worry about uh, worry about animals eating your, your things or even attacking you. You're worried about a lot of things. And this guy, this Epaphroditus, he's even ill. He gets ill. He gets sick on top of those things. Now I imagine if Epaphroditus took the words of Paul and, and asked himself, okay, I need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Is God working in me to risk everything I have, perhaps, for the sake of his glory. And he would be able to answer, yes, I see God working in me. Because I risked this, I did this, and God let me, God allowed me to do that. If it was just up to me, if it was just up to Epaphroditus, I wouldn't be interested. But because God is working in me, I'm willing to lay down even my life for the sake of Christ. Are we willing to risk for the gospel? Now, how can we make this a little bit more practical? And there are many ways, I mean, there are many ways that Christians must risk themselves. Our status, our reputations, even a friend group, uh, even, you know, we might even risk getting a promotion if we're not, you know, uh, towing the line at work. If we're sharing the gospel all the time, we might lose friends, we might lose uh, some of your time. There's many things that we risk. But here's one thing uh, that hits the believers quite close to home. Have you ever been in this situation? So I'll, I'll, this, is, this is where I was. I was just sitting, and in front of me was a desk, and on that desk was a, uh, was a blank check. And I had to decide what I was going to write on that blank check. Because my wife and I, we've decided to give a certain percentage of uh, our income to uh, the work of the church. That's what we risk. 
And I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm, I'm, and it, it gets real here. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling because I got to write a number down on that check. And last month, things were pretty lean. I'm not saying this, this was a time in the past. It wasn't literally last month. But the month before this happened, things were really lean, really lean. And I had to decide whether or not the percentage I was going to give was going to be based on the lean last month or what I expect God to do next month. So that's a moment where I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. Is my giving going to be up to the level of comfort? Or is it going to be up to the level of risk? Is my giving going to say to the world, to myself and to my God, my treasure isn't actually on earth, it's in heaven? You are my treasure? Or is my giving going to say, meh, I'll give what I can and no more? Is it going to say, I've committed to this, I've committed to glorifying you in this way, so I'm going to write this down? Or am I going to say, well, it was a lean month, and I'm not going to risk it. Now, your giving is between you and God. That's just one example. But that is one way that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Am I willing, not only willing to risk for the sake of Christ, but take stock of your life. How do I, how do I risk for the sake of Christ? How's that working now? How many conversations am I getting into where, you know, it could be embarrassing, it could be a little awkward. You risk a little bit of something, but it's for the sake of Christ. Take stock. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling in this way. Here's the remarkable thing about all of these items that we've talked about today. This should be, and I hope it is for many of us, many of us, this should be joy. Here's why. Because if you're like me, you know that if it weren't for God, you would not be up to any of these things, right? If it were not for God, you would not be ingesting and reading and following the Bible. If it were not for God, you would not be putting the welfare of others and the work of Christ before yourself. If it was not for God, you would not be risking your status and your money and your time and your talent and your treasure for the work of Christ. If it was up to you, you'd be doing none of these things. But you are doing these things. What is the answer? The answer is God is working in you. The answer is God has done a miracle in your life. The answer is God has enabled you to have faith and to live for him. It's not you. It's not on you. It's God working in us. I think this question is so helpful. Because for many of us, it'll be a joy and assurance. God is working through me. But for many of us, it'll cause us to evaluate. Is God working through me? Do I really believe? Am I really following after scripture? Do I, do I have genuine concern for others? And if that's not the case... We need to give this to God and pray and say, God, change me. God, help me. God, enable me to do this. And watch God work in your life. Make him your Lord. Make him your Savior. Trust in him for your salvation. And he will do a work in your life. 
I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to use this song, and actually we're going to have communion together later. We're going to use this song as a moment where we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We can use this song as a declaration. Lord, I believe. I believe. Or if you're not there, I want to believe. I want to believe. Lord, change me. Lord, change me. Help me to believe. Genuinely believe in you. Would you stand with us? And would you sing this song as a declaration of your faith to Christ?